From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Walter, Jennifer, Ariel, Chantel, Sonia, Linda, Teresa, my dear two Emmas, Jessica, John, Lady Janice, Elena, Alethea, John, Nanette, Rachel, Sophie, Whitney, David, Catherine, Trudy, and Stacy. Thank you so much, guys. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patron. Like, share, subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, we'll consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and, well, we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. This week's podcast will be on Joseph Callinger. This one came recommended, and I wasn't as familiar with him, but after you hear about his childhood... So let's get into it. Joseph Lee Brenner III was born on December 11, 1935 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So as we do, let's get into some history for that time. This year, the boulder, now known as the Hoover Dam, was completed. Also, President Roosevelt signed the U.S. Social Security Act, providing an employment compensation wage and pension for elderly people leaving the workforce. In April 1935, the Great Plains of the United States was struck by one of the worst dust storms in U.S. history. The storm would come to be known as, quote, Black Sunday as it passed through the region, further devastating farms and infrastructure already ravaged by the Dust Bowl. People who witnessed the dust storm stated that that afternoon, a massive black cloud quickly made its way to the area. It caught most people off guard and they had to race against the storm to find shelter. Also this year in New York, the first public housing project was launched. Pan American Airways China Clipper, a flying boat, went on the first U.S. Trans-Pacific airmail delivery flight this year. The plane left Alameda, California and landed in Manila, Philippines after seven days of travel. 
it successfully delivered 110,000 pieces of mail. It picked up mail intended for the U.S. and made the seven-day journey back to the States. The Second Italo-Ethiopian War began this year after Italy invaded Ethiopia in an attempt by Mussolini to expand the Italian Empire. The invasion of Ethiopia by Italy put a spotlight on the ineffectiveness of the League of Nations, which had been unable to stop Italy's attack and unable to agree on what actions to take against the belligerent nation. Sanctions had been put on Italy for the conflict, but they largely remained ineffective. Allied troops liberated Ethiopia in 1941, but make no mistake, the unspoken but very real World War II was quickly on its way. The first experimental radar was developed in the UK, where official driver's tests also began. The people's car and... Ted Bundy's preferred ride, the Volkswagen Beetle, was launched in Germany. Toyota cars were coming off of the assembly line in Japan, and the USA developed the helicopter. 1935 was also the first year canned beer was sold. Interestingly, this is also the year that Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in New York City. An earthquake hit what is now modern-day Pakistan, killing 26,000 people. Parisia was renamed Iran, and something particularly interesting to me, the Penguin Publishing Company, created in England by Alan Lane, was created. He wanted to make affordable, yet easily accessible versions of contemporary literature after having been personally disappointed by the selection of available, affordable nonfiction and fiction books at the time. In the summer of 1935, Penguin released their first 10 paperbacks, and within a year, they had sold over 1 million books in England. Some notable people born this year were Jerry Lee Lewis, Julie Andrews, Woody Allen, Sonny Bono, and the Dalai Lama himself, Elvis Presley, and Donald Sutherland. So, this was the atmosphere of the world that Joseph was born into. His parents were Joseph Lee Brenner Jr. and his wife, Judith. When Joseph was two years old, Judith put him in a boarding house of sorts because his father had abandoned him and his mother, though Judith did, at least at first, visit him once a week. Now, some other sources stated that Judith abandoned the family and Joseph put the baby up because he was unwilling to raise him as a single father. I couldn't find which one is correct, but it was said that he still developed separation anxiety. According to Radford University, Joseph was then placed on the Catholic adoption list because his mother decided that she could not care for him and she was unable to find another husband and could also not make enough money to provide for him. Back in the 30s, it was incredibly difficult for a single mother as we can all imagine. In 1939, when Joseph was four years old, he was officially adopted by Stephen and Anna Callinger. And now the couple were Austrian immigrants and both in their very early 40s. Now, sources say that Judith tried to bribe the Callingers into giving her money to be able to adopt her son, but she was unsuccessful. 
and I wish I could tell you that he had a wonderful childhood and this story had a happy ending, but those aren't the stories we tell. Almost from the beginning, guys, Stephen and Anna abused Joseph horribly. Stephen beat him with a leather strap regularly, and Anna beat him with a wooden spoon. It was said that they flogged him and also beat him with a hammer. So when Joseph was five years old, another neighborhood kid heard him say the F word, and his parents were told. It was reported that he was beaten regularly every single day for a week. And as if that isn't horrible enough, they never actually told him what the word meant or even why he was being physically punished day after day. When he was just six years old, he was beaten so badly that he suffered a hernia and had to have surgery at the hospital to repair it. Stephen and Anna told him that he had had to have surgery for his, quote, bird to keep it small and make it not work. They were, of course, referring to his penis. At seven years old, Joseph stole a book of prayers from the school and was caught. His punishment was being forced to kneel on sandpaper for an hour every night for a week. And the parents didn't always use sandpaper. Sometimes they forced him to repeatedly kneel on jagged rocks. He was also locked inside closets, was burned with irons, and some sources stated he was starved to the point that he ate his own feces. When he was just eight years old, he asked his mother if he could go with the other children on a class field trip to the zoo. Her response was hitting him in the head with a hammer four times. Another time, while his mother was chasing him around the room with a broom, he began beating his own head against walls and tables. And then, when he was just eight or nine years old, he was held at knife point by some older boys while one of them performed oral sex on him. He became so very rebellious and raged against his teachers as well as his parents, at least as much as he could. Joseph's parents didn't bother to acknowledge him on his ninth birthday, so he allegedly went to school the next day, donning a knife and cut holes into his classmates' coats. A couple of years later, he was stealing money from his parents in an attempt to make friends by taking the neighborhood kids to a movie theater. Predictably, his parents discovered this and punished him by burning his fingers on the stove. Now, what Joseph got out of this particular torturous punishment wasn't that he shouldn't steal, but that the pain was tolerable because he had made friends that would go see movies with him. So he continued to take money from them. This cycle of him stealing money from his parents and they then burning his fingers on the stove happened a total of six times before he finally quit taking their money. So, as Joseph was entering puberty, it was said that he cut a hole in the wall of what I assume was his bedroom for the purposes of masturbation. He would look at photos of both women and men, and very quickly he also needed a knife quite near him in order to achieve orgasm. That evolved into him using the knife to cut and stab at the photos in order to finish 
if you will. At 13 years old, he was able to convince his parents to let him go to a camp for two weeks. While he was there, he apparently took a scope off of a rifle he had found, took it apart, and kept the lens from within it because it, quote, made things bigger, end quote, if you get what I'm saying. A couple of weeks after he returned home from camp, he later said he began hearing voices telling him to cut someone. And so he boarded a city bus armed with a knife. While reading, he saw another boy exit the bus and he decided to follow. He caught up to him and armed with the knife, he ordered the boy to walk into a wooded area near a creek and demanded he take his pants off. But Joseph didn't harm the boy. In fact, he just ran off. But he enjoyed this new experience, and it is said that he did this same thing three more times within a few months. But the very last victim's experience wasn't as easy, if you will. Joseph decided to reenact exactly what had been done to him when he was younger. He put the other boy's penis in his mouth and went as far as to bite down all while holding the boy at knife point. It was also when he was around 13 years old that he got the opportunity to play the lead part in the school play, which was A Christmas Carol, and he actually showed some talent and his performance was well received. After this, he had seriously thought about either being a playwright or an actor, and when he shared this interest with his parents, they laughed at him and heavily belittled him for even wanting to pursue either career. At 15 years old, while at the movie theater, as he was actually allowed to go to on Saturdays, he met a girl named Hilda Bergman. The pair began dating rather quickly, but his parents were completely against him doing so and told him they forbid it. He continued seeing Hilda anyway, and this would be when he would have his first normal sexual experience. But in that same year, he later said that he was told by God himself that he had chosen him for a special mission, that Joseph was to heal people and save them through their feet. After this, over the next 11 years, he conducted over 40,000, quote, experiments on people's feet due to this special mission from God. You see, he's trained as a cobbler, which is someone who mends shoes as a job, which was convenient since his father owned a shoe store and he'd been working there most of his life. And because his parents would not leave him alone about ending his relationship with Hilda, in 1951, at nearly 16 years old, he moved out of his parents' home and into a place of his own, though he continued to work in his father's store. But really, this would be a time in young Joseph's later childhood that would be somewhat positive for him. He and Hilda were still together, and it was said that they were heavily sexually active. He finally had made some decent friends, and it was at this point that he began playing poker and pool with his friends, and he began drinking. In 1953, when he was 17 years old, he dropped out of high school, which was not entirely uncommon for the times, so he would begin working full-time in the shoe shop. Then he and Hilda got married. 
they quickly had two children together. And so this was Joseph's childhood. There's plenty here, so let's begin to unpack. Now, I was not able to immediately find anything about Joseph's birth parents, which means there's no information on their personalities or possible negative traits that he could have inherited. There's no information as to what environment they might have been exposed to that could have also possibly affected the pregnancy. There is already conflicting information as to which parent abandoned the family, the father or the mother, although I would believe the father did as there was more information as to the mother trying to get money out of the adoptive parents to be able to adopt him. So as far as trying to determine if his future crimes have some nature behind them, we just don't know. Now as far as the nurture aspect, well, he has that in spades. From the first year after his birth, his circumstances were up in the air. He had been in some boarding house, seeing the only constant he had ever had only once a week. In his second year of life, he was adopted by the Callengers, and that was the beginning of one of the more traumatic childhoods that we have talked about. From the age of an older toddler, he was seriously, and I mean seriously, physically and mentally abused. The abuse was so severe that he suffered a hernia that had to be surgically repaired at the tender age of six, to which his parents told him they told the doctors to perform genital mutilation so that his penis would stay small. Just let that sink in for a moment. At a very young age, children begin to explore their bodies by touching and poking and pulling and rubbing their bodies, and of course this includes their genitalia. At this young age, he at least hopefully would not have been aware of the fact that his penis would play a much more important role in his later life and the growth required for that. So it puzzles me as to why they would say such a thing to him to begin with. And the physical abuse Joseph endured is something else. Looking at that, aside from the immediate physical injuries the children can experience through mistreatment, a child's reactions to abuse or neglect can have lifelong and even intergenerational impacts. According to childwelfare.gov, childhood maltreatment can be linked to later physical, psychological, and behavioral consequences as well as costs to society as a whole. These consequences may be independent of each other, but they may also be interrelated. Some examples include stunted physical development of the child's brain and leads to psychological problems such as low self-esteem, which could later lead to high-risk behaviors such as substance abuse. The outcomes for each child vary widely and are affected by a combination of factors, including the child's age and developmental status when the maltreatment occurs, the type frequency, duration, and severity of the maltreatment, and the relationship between the child and the perpetrator. Additionally, children who experience maltreatment often are affected by other adverse experiences, such as domestic abuse, poverty, and etc., which can make it difficult to separate the unique effects of maltreatment. 
The physical health consequences of abuse and or neglect may occur immediately, such as brain damage caused by head trauma, but others can take months or even years to emerge and become detectable. But make no mistake, there is a straightforward link between physical abuse and physical health, but it is also important to recognize that abuse or neglect of any type can cause long-term physical consequences. Childhood abuse has also been linked to higher risk for a wide range of long-term or future health problems, which can include diabetes, lung disease, malnutrition, vision problems, functional limitations, heart attack, arthritis, back problems, high blood pressure, brain damage, migraine headaches, chronic bronchitis, cancer, stroke, bowel disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, the list is long. Child abuse and neglect has also been associated with certain regions of the brain failing to form, function, or grow properly as we have discussed many times. A history of maltreatment may be correlated with reduced volume and overall brain size and may affect the size and or functioning of the following brain regions. The amygdala, which is key for processing emotions, the hippocampus, which is central to learning and memory, the orbitofrontal cortex, which is responsible for reinforcement-based decision-making and emotional regulation, the cerebellum, which helps coordinate motor behavior and executive functioning, and the corpus callosum, which is responsible for left-right brain communication and other processes. Now, there have been some studies that show a level of evidence that children's brains may be able to recover with the help of appropriate interventions. If you are interested, look up Understanding the Effects of Maltreatment on Brain Development. We have seen children who have suffered abuse that have diminished executive functioning and cognitive skills, including self-control and mental flexibility. We've seen quite poor mental and emotional health, such as depression, anxiety, and other psychiatric disorders. They often have attachment and social difficulties, and my ever-present post-traumatic stress disorder, which is displayed as the persistent re-experiencing of the traumatic events related to the abuse, avoiding people, places, and events, feeling fear or horror, anger, guilt, shame, being easily startled and exhibiting hypervigilance, irritability, and other changes in mood. PTSD in children can lead to depression, suicidal ideation, substance abuse, oppositional or defiant behaviors. Again, the list is long. I think it would be safe to say that the abuse he experienced from both of his adoptive parents set him up for a bleak future. So let's continue with the story. Joseph and Hilda's marriage, though it produced two children, was rife with domestic abuse, and Hilda finally garnered the courage to leave him to be with another man. Not long after, it was said that Joseph was hospitalized with a suspected brain lesion. Tests were performed, but they revealed that he only had a, quote, psychopathological nervous disorder, end quote. A more common term would be generalized anxiety disorder, which is the most common anxiety disorder. He was released from the mental health facility, 
But then the now 22-year-old Joseph very quickly married a second time to a woman named Betty. They went on to have five children together, bringing his total to seven children at this point. That same year, which was 1958, he set fire to his own house for amusement and collected the insurance from it. It was said that he was also incredibly abusive toward his family, often deferring to the same methods his own parents had used against him on his own children and his wife. He attempted to set his own house on fire a second time in 1959, and he was committed to a state hospital for attempting to take his own life. And this would be his pattern, being committed to mental health facilities off and on throughout his 20s into his mid-30s for attempts on his own life, amnesia, and setting fires. In 1972, when he was 36 years old, it is said that, in a rage, he branded his oldest daughter with a hot iron for running away from home. He was then arrested for child abuse and charged with the abuse of three of his children after they had went to the police station and reported the abuse themselves. Somehow Joseph was able to get Betty to go along with the story that the children had in fact attempted to run away and they denied the abuse charges completely. Joseph was found competent to stand trial after a psychological examination. However, he was found guilty of child abuse and sentenced to four years probation with mandatory psychiatric treatment. While in jail awaiting trial, he was tested and scored an 82 on an IQ test, which is below average, and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. The state did recommend he be supervised while with his family. Two years later, he began regularly hallucinating and was having full-on conversations with a disembodied head named Charlie, as well as receiving personal orders from God. These orders included demands to murder young boys and sever their genitals. Joseph told his 13-year-old son, Michael, about the orders he had been given and that he would need his help in these divine orders. Now, I'd love to tell you that Michael had been completely horrified by this and not only refused the request, but tried to get his father some help, but nope. Michael was apparently quite happy and replied to his father, quote, glad to do it, dad. Just 11 days later, Joseph, with the help of his teenage son, Michael, murdered Jose Colazo, a Puerto Rican youth from Philadelphia, by torturing him and cutting off his genitals. After, Joseph took out a $45,000 life insurance policy on two of his sons. That same month, he and Michael decided to murder his own 13-year-old son and brother, Joey, since Michael and Joey were both 13, I'm personally wondering if they were twins. Regardless, the first attempt to kill him had Joseph trying to get Joey to walk backwards off of a cliff while pretending to try to take his picture. That was unsuccessful. He then tried trapping Joey in a burning trailer, but he was able to escape. Finally, three days after trying to kill him in a fiery inferno, 
they were successful in ending his life by drowning him at a demolition site. Joseph then reported Joey as missing, that he had run away, but his remains were found around a week later among some rubble at the demolition site. The cause of death couldn't be determined, though much later, Joseph admitted to drowning him. Regardless, the life insurance company refused to pay out the policy. After this, 38-year-old Joseph and his son Michael began in November 1974 a full crime spree that encompassed Philadelphia, Baltimore, and New Jersey. For over six weeks, they broke into families' homes, one being in New Jersey, but no one had been home. The second home they broke into, Joseph sexually assaulted the woman who lived within. A month later, the father-son duo kidnapped four women while the ladies played bridge in Pennsylvania and stole $20,000 worth of valuables and cash. They both also held a woman hostage in her own home in Homeland, Maryland, and forced her to perform sexual acts on Joseph at gunpoint. So all of this not only being witnessed by his own son, but the son was a willing participant. They forced themselves into a home in Leonia, New Jersey, armed with knives and guns and took eight hostages, whom they tied up with cords cut from their own electrical appliances. Most of the people were forced to take their clothes off. Out of the eight, they murdered only one. She was 21-year-old Maria Fashing, a nurse, by slitting her throat. Thankfully, one of the others that had been bound was able to get free and ran to a neighbor's house to get help. For this crime, Joseph and actually two of his sons, Michael and 11-year-old James, were arrested in their own home. The authorities had linked the crime to a blood-soaked shirt. Joseph was a sure thing, but the authorities couldn't decide which son to take in because it was said that Michael and James looked so much alike but they determined Michael had been Joseph's accomplice and let James go. Ultimately, Joseph and Michael were charged with kidnapping and rape. Joseph was further charged with three counts of murder, his son Joey, Maria, and a neighborhood boy. Not surprising, Joseph pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, stating that God himself had given him orders to kill. Ultimately, the courts decided that while Michael was delinquent, he was salvageable. The murder charges against him were dismissed in a plea deal where he would plead guilty on two counts of robbery. His punishment was all of being on probation until his 25th birthday, if you can believe it. He served his sentence, changed his name, and moved out of the area completely. As far as Joseph... He was given a psychiatric evaluation, and the doctor concluded that he had known right from wrong and was indeed competent to stand trial. His first trial was declared a mistrial due to something to do with jury selection. During his second trial, he was charged with four counts of robbery, four counts of false imprisonment, one count of burglary. While he was testifying, he stated that he had periods where he had no memory of things and told the jury that God communicated with him and told him to do things. 
He also reiterated that he was the son of God and that he had existed as a butterfly. He was, of course, found guilty and sentenced to 30 to 80 years in prison. Now, while in prison and awaiting his trial in New Jersey, he started acting out strangely in an attempt to draw attention to his mental illness, but it was determined he was faking it. The trial there for Maria's murder, he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. So, okay, he's in prison. The dust began to settle, and then Joseph began trying to end his own life, including once setting himself on fire. He also assaulted a fellow inmate and somehow managed to start a fire on his own cell block. So they decided to move him to a mental hospital in Waymart, Pennsylvania for the criminally insane. And it took him no time to attempt to murder another inmate there, completely unprovoked. Later, he slashed the throat of an unsuspecting prisoner, but luckily they survived. What would you do if you got out of here? I would probably do the same thing all over again. What would you do? Try to murder everyone on the planet Earth. Here at the State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, just outside Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm a patient person, got a good listening ear, and try to help people. You're a patient with a good ear, and you try to help people? Yes. When you're not trying to murder them? Yes. You murdered your own son? Yes, I did. Why did you do that? He was a sacrifice. I was to murder three million people on planet Earth. And he was sacrificed to see if I could murder one of my own. At the end of murdering all the people on Earth, I was going to murder my own family and then take my own life and become God. These voices from God, these hallucinations, do you still experience them? Yes, I do. Often? Often. Do you ever feel violent? Yes, I do. What do you feel like doing? Killing people. You still feel like killing people? Yes. Describe the feeling that you get when you feel like killing people. Well, last March 11th, I was hallucinating, and I took a razor blade, and I cut a man's throat. Here in the hospital? Here in the hospital. Do you think it murdered me, Joe? Yes. That's gruesome, Joe. That's horrible. Yes, it is. And you don't blame me if I say I hope you never get out of this place. I hope I never do either. In 1988, the now 42-year-old did a television interview where he expressed his unending desire to slaughter every person on earth and commit suicide only to, quote, become God. He would go on religious hunger strikes. In 1991, he was put in and spent the next five years in solitary confinement on constant suicide watch. Then on March 26, 1966, at the age of 59 years old, he died. Now again, there is some conflicting information as to what exactly he died from. Some say he had a seizure, choked on his own vomit, and died in the prison infirmary. Still other sources say he died of heart failure. Either way, after being on suicide watch for 11 years, he was gone. I wish I had been able to find some level of information about his biological parents and who they were as people. Did one of them have issues that would make Joseph genetically predisposed to violence? Did schizophrenia run in his biological family, unless he indeed was faking it? 
The severe mental and physical abuse he suffered at the hands of his adoptive parents certainly was enough to push any person over the edge. The fact that he was able to get his son Michael to be his partner in crime so willingly makes me think that there was some level of a genetic component to this. But tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. All of my contact information is in the notes. But most importantly, thank you so much guys for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much guys and for the recent lots and lots of positive feedback. I really appreciate that. You have no idea. Have a great day guys. Anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing. 